Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons, Robert, Matthew, Brenda, Garrett, Jeff, Paul, Tobias, Carol, Fernando, Jeff, Justin, Matt, and Robert. Thank you all so much. You helped make this show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. And now, onto this episode's guest announcement. Will has been making his D&D shorts videos for about a year now and has risen to the top of D&D TikTok popularity with his game-breaking Weird Things You Can Do in D&D series. He's also been working on game design stuff for patrons, other video content to help you pick playing options, and more. Be on the lookout for some big things from him in the future. Enjoy. Yeah, so my name's Will. I'm 27 years old from England. I'm a bald, bearded nerd. I got into d and I feel like I'm one of the new wave of D&D players in the sense that I'm the COVID generation. Uh, there's a lot of us. Yeah. And I got a, a message from a friend just as the first lockdown hit in the UK, which was... Honestly, we're recording this on April 2nd. I think it was around this time two years ago to the day. So they hit me up and they said like, hey man, there's this, uh, there's this COVID thing, right? It looks pretty serious. We're probably going to be locked up for about uh, two to three weeks, maybe even four weeks. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's try some D&D. You know, I play, it seems like something you'd enjoy. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll see what it is. I thought I'd be terrible. So I went online and I was like, how to, how to not die. That was my goal, was just how to not mess it up so badly that everyone had a bad time. And I heard that barbarians were the hardest ones to kill at level one. So I was like, we'll go with a barbarian. I rolled up a vegan barbarian called Bloodwrath. I hopped on and it's kind of a funny thing, actually, because I, I hear very differently from most people who play D&D, but I did not enjoy it at all, hmm. um, my first session. This is unusual from what I hear. Most people who fall in love with D&D, it's a love at first sight. That was not it for me. We were playing over Discord. And I didn't really understand the rules. I was mostly confused. And it was very slow. In my head, I'd seen like Stranger Things. I was like, I'm ready to do this. Like, let's fight some dragons and stuff. It was very slow. It took me a while to kind of ease into the role play. And in my head, I was thinking like, man, I got to I gotta talk my way out of this. I've committed to a four week long mini campaign. You know, I'm going to have to say like, oh, I'm really ill or like, I just don't have the time. But you know what I, what I did? I rocked up for session two and a little bit of magic started happening because... I sort of got the rules down. I was starting to understand, okay, so this is what a character does. I rage on my bonus action and then I charge in and then I can hit the kobold and then you level up. Suddenly I'm reading it properly. And I'm like, oh, I can, I can reckless attack. I can attack with advantage. And I message my DM. I'm like, dude, is this, is this right? This seems like crazy strong. And he's like, no, no, that's barbarians. You know, you attack at advantage and they attack you back at advantage. And I was like, yeah, all right. And it really was for me, it was something that grew and grew and became something that grew from something I didn't even like to something that was dominating my thoughts all the time. Like I would be doing whatever, doing my day job, because I'm a, I'm a voice actor and a voice, a sort of a communicator. At the time I was doing a lot of like pop culture communication kind of stuff on YouTube. It just got to the point where I was thinking about D&D more than anything else. And uh, it grew into something that I absolutely love and I still play, as well as making content on it all the time now, I do a lot of YouTube content for it. I still think about D&D to relax uh, and, it really just has that little space in my head. Uh, it's always ticking over. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Anyway, the COVID times, one of the good things to come out of it for me was that experience. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I do get your perspective that it took a while for you to get into the game. I feel like if I had started playing not in person myself personally, I would have struggled as well. So you saying like it was kind of hard to like get a feel for the role play and and the pacing was kind of slow because you were online. And yeah, it can be hard. Like I kind of learned with a lot of different people who are all learning at the same time. The way we learned was like we all had our character sheets in front of us and we're all like pointing at stuff and like helping each other find what we're looking for. Then we all kind of learn together and it would be very isolating to kind of learn like that. So, I mean, a lot of people have, but I, I definitely relate to 
the slow start you had just because I feel the same way about playing online. It can be tough sometimes. But yeah, I, I don't think you're alone. Have you ever run games before? When you started running games, what was it like? And uh, how's it going for you? I love running games. I, I kind of feel like people who, who don't run games miss half the fun of D&D. There's this idea that you've got the forever DM kind of stereotype or the meme, and you've got the people who's like, oh, no, I only play. I could never DM. For me, I think they're two sides of the same game, and that if you only play one, you're really missing half the fun. Mm -hmm. The first game I ever DM'd was just for my friends. Yeah. And I'd written this small adventure because at the time, my YouTube channel was just starting to kick off D&D shorts on YouTube. We'd had like this huge July where suddenly it was like, I got like a thousand views in May and then three million in July or something. But I, I was like, this is great, but I need to earn some money <laughs> um, <laughs> if I want to do this full time, which I do. Yeah. So I was like, how am I going to do this? Maybe I should try and run games for members of the community. That was my scheme. Like my master plan was to, to try and get loads of people together and we'd run games. I could teach people how to play. So I started off by making adventures for people to play and creating these mini one shots, which I still do. I publish them in a magazine now. Mm. And so I wrote that one out. I played it with all my friends and it was the first time I'd ever DM'd and I just fell in love with it. Unlike when I first started playing the game, this was the first time I was DMing. It just made sense to me 100%. I'd had some amazing DMs over the last year at the time, the last 18 months. And all I did was basically just copy what they were doing. And I was astonished at how easy it was, how fun it was, and how much fun everyone else was having. Fell in love with it right away. And from there, I just kind of took it to the people. And through the community that we have on YouTube and TikTok and through Dungeons and Dragons, I've got to meet and hang out with some incredible people from all over the world. And I get to play D&D whenever I want with people anywhere and meet great people both with like a capital G, like great, like you and Duke from One Shot Questers and big, <laughs> big names in the industry, but little G, great people, like just cool, cool, awesome dudes who are like, yeah, nice people who you'd never normally get to hang out with. That's how I got into GMing. And that's what I love about it is you get to make this story. And then um, really, it just becomes a way to hang out with people. Somehow it stops being about D&D &D and starts being about a social experience with people you'd never normally get to meet and forming friendships and just laughing and telling stupid jokes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about it too is the community that I've felt, all of the different people I've been able to meet. You know, I've played games with people on almost every continent. And like you said, I would have never met those people otherwise. So it's definitely a fun part of the way it works. The thing I love asking guests because I started the show because I really wanted to focus on like what mistakes have other people made and how can we kind of help everyone learn about them and, and not make them themselves. So as far as some of the mistakes you made early on or more recently, what are some of them that stick out and what are some things you think you could have done to avoid them slash what other people could do uh, to avoid these kinds of things in their own games? I make a lot of mistakes because I go too fast sometimes. <laughs> yeah. They're not big deals at all. But my priority when I game is keeping games fun and keeping games moving. Like not railroading players, but I don't know if you've ever played in a game where that silence kind of descends and no one's really sure what to do. I like to kind of keep the action going so everyone feels like they get to live that power fantasy and have a great time. So sometimes I do stupid things like say, okay, this monster's going to make three attacks on you which is one of those little mistakes which can destroy a game if the first two attacks crit and you've already committed to making a third. It's one of those little mistakes that you're supposed to roll one attack at a time because that gives you as the DM a chance to back off. If you crit the first one, you're like, okay, he knocks you down and then the golem steps over your lifeless body and walks over to someone else. If you say, no, he's attacking you three times and you knock him out the first time and he comes down another two times, auto crit on an unconscious foe, yep. you can kill someone. So your only option is to say, oh, actually he stops and he goes over. And, and then you lose that um, immersion, right? You lose the sense of reality. So huh. that's definitely something I need to do. I do a lot of, I don't want to expose the meta gaming because obviously I don't want to kill anyone, right? You know, because I run games for patrons now. You don't want to kill people who are they're paying to play. <laughs> you know, it's important that people have a good time. Yeah. I think that's one of the simple mistakes that I make still is going too fast and just you forget the small stuff that would just make the game run smoother. The main mistake I made when I started was I think I let the dice do too much. I rolled too often and I agree with the philosophy of letting the dice tell a story. 
and failure can be just as fun, if not more fun, than success. But if you really let the dice tell everything, the very first game I rolled with friends, there was one player who, I don't think they rolled above a four all day. And it was like a five-hour session. And by the end, they were understandably like, they were miserable wasn't the word, but you know when it's kind of funny and then it starts getting annoying and then it's half 10 at night and you just can't hit an attack. (laughs) And I think as a more experienced DM, I would find ways to still involve that player. At the time, it was like, okay, your attack misses, next person, you know, or whatever. Oh, I'm afraid you try and climb the rigging on the ship. It took place on a ship. Like a four, you fail. Whereas what I do now, if someone's just, you know, lady luck is not on their side, you don't have to roll for stuff. If someone's trying to do something and you know that they need a moment or they've earned a moment and you want them to succeed, you can just say like, yeah, it works. You don't need to roll for that. And I think that's something that I certainly do a lot more now than I did when I first started. Everything needed to be rolled for and I had the DC in my head and if you failed, you failed. And that was kind of that. Whereas now I'm much more willing to take the control of the game out of the hands of the dice if it's something that I know will give the players that awesome moment or keep them excited or make sure one player isn't left totally behind. Wow. Yeah. Those are two very good pieces of advice and two that no one has given on the show so far. Yeah, I love that. And I think it is a really valuable skill to kind of be able to manage the table and and manage the players like that. Uh, in a way that you're making sure that everybody has fun and and then you're accounting for stuff um, that you're noticing that you have no power over, like dice rolls, instead of letting them control things, kind of stepping in when you can. I love that. I also love your first piece of advice, too, in that uh, you try to be more careful with your narratives and with the way you explain what is happening. It can be a little weird to kind of walk stuff back. So uh, both really good pieces of advice that I've never really thought about before and uh, I really love. The walking stuff back, just to really iterate on it, what I think it comes down to, I could probably explain it better, is living in the moment in the game rather than trying to hurry things along. And I often find myself describing the whole turn as if it's already happened. But if you treat it like every second is its own second, it gives your players a lot more chance to be reactive, Mm -hmm. which is always fun. And also, yeah, you don't walk yourself into a trap where you accidentally kill someone yeah yeah and especially at higher levels right where they've got reactions they've got counter spells they've got whatever else they may want to throw in before you can get something done and that's the most exciting time as well you want that crazy firework display going off of interaction Um, that's where i find the real joy when you're playing with experienced players when you play with newer players it's better to keep things simple but yeah 100 yeah i agree all right uh, on the flip side of that what are some of your favorite memories of really fun or memorable stuff that have happened in your games could be games that you've played with patrons your home games whatever and it could be games that you ran or games that you were playing in but yeah really fun moments that other dms could take a lesson from it's always the role play for me my channel has a a reputation maybe that it, it's very combat focused <laughs> yeah. but actually as a as a person when I play, I actually love the role play. I love the improv. There's one time we were playing a game where I didn't really have much prepped. All I knew was that the party, they had to create this stew. They'd been captured by cannibals. Oh. And the cannibals had said, look, tonight is our huge festival. We do this every year. You can either make this significant cultural dish by collecting these three ingredients that are really hard to find and combining it and cooking it up yourselves, or we'll eat you. Part of the fun of the day was they had to go around and talk with the residents of this cannibal village and eke out information on how best to get these ingredients. Like what time of day is the best time of day to gather the plums of the havoc tree, for example. I had this idea that two villagers would be playing a game and the players would go over and they would join in the game and win. And over the course of the game, the villagers would drop some information that would be useful in gathering the ingredients. So the players came over and on the spur of the moment, I just, I'm no great accent guy, but I just gave them like a dumb accent. I was like, oh, hey there, fellas, we're playing a game of chess. Yeah. Meaning chess. Yeah, yeah. And a player misheard what I said. And he said, oh my God, I've just realized I can't tell this story. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're a family friendly show. No, I can do it. Okay. He thought I said a different <laughs> word that was like a bodily fluid. Yeah. So it's oh, like, we're playing a game of- That's than what you know, I even thought. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you're playing with your what? And we all had a chuckle. But then we just doubled down on it. Like, rather than being like, no, 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 I said chess. I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. This is like a, you know, I understand that you are of a different culture. 
And it might seem strange to you, but me and my partner here, we have a loving communicative relationship. We explore each other and we're proud of that. They started joining in and they were like, you know, that's really inspiring. Like I have troubles with my wife. Can you give any advice? And we, we talked all about communication in um, physical relationships. We talked about how best to kind of navigate the struggles that come with age. I mean, it was very crude, but it was so funny, man. <laughs> Sounds very therapeutic. <laughs> it was very like D&D. Like it, in our D&D games, like we're, we're all like 25 to 35-ish. You know, it's kind of like the main age group at the moment, just as it happens. And we play like we're 12. And it was just one of those really amazing moments that was so funny and also just so fun that came from just a mistake. And it was just committing to the mistake and just being like, if that's what you heard, that's what he said. Let's go with it. I, just from that came that just wonderful um, moment. Just very ridiculous. Uh, was that your uh, Taika Waititi uh, accent there or, or your um, Flight of the Concords? Or- I'm one of those. I fully believe that this is another piece of D&D advice, DM advice. When I play, I do not prep accents. I believe the accent will come in the moment. You know, something always comes out. If you commit to making a strange noise with your throat, something comes out in the form of words. And you just you just run with it. Do something strange, and it kind of fumbles its way through. Love it. Who are some of the people who've been the greatest influences on you on the style of your running games? I'm going to give a really boring answer here. I'm sure viewers at home want me to say people like Matt Mercer and, you know, exciting celebrities, right? Yeah. Uh, Matthew Colville, Ginny D. A lot of these YouTubers, I see their stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. My biggest crime at the moment is I don't have enough time to watch D&D content as much as I'd like to. And even when I was playing and prepping, I didn't have enough time to... Because, I mean, you know, Critical Role is thousands of hours long. Matthew Colvin's running the game is immense, titanic kind of... Um, yeah, it's at least 100. ...home of wonderful information. Yeah. So I have to dip in and out. In truth, the people who inspired me the most are the people who taught me the game. They're my friends, they're family members, people who I play with in real life, and my players too. If a player does something really cool and interesting in a game, I will absolutely steal that for another game. Be like, that was a great idea, or that was a great voice, or that was a great character. And then chatting with my friends who ran games, who've ran games for years, um, and saying like, you know, how do you handle this? Or how do you do that? Or maybe they just share it with me. And I just kind of copied them and put my own spin on it. So unfortunately, I can't tell you like a resource because you don't know who um, Dave McGew or Matthew McKinney are, but they're my real life friends who taught me the game. And they're the people who really inspired me. And I dare say a lot of people who say they're inspired by Matt Mercer and people like that. It's certainly true, but there might be a bit more of a rub-off from their elder brother or sister or their parents who taught them the game than they think. I think those people really stick with you. So for me, D&D was absolutely something that I learned from the one-on-one with uh, players and people rather than from online resources. Yeah, that's a great answer. I usually preface it with like, they can be celebrities or they can be personal to you. So you you nailed the second one. Have you been accused of being a power gamer? And how does it influence your style of running and playing games? Yeah, I've definitely been accused of being a power gamer. Yeah. It kind of comes with the territory on YouTube. I mean, you get yes. accused of everything. You can't really get away from it when you're in the public eye. Not that I particularly am at all in the public eye, but... It's Well, for a start, I would say it's not true in terms of how I like to play the game. Okay. Um, as I said before, I'm a role-play guy, really. All I'm looking for when I roll up any character is something that I can get my teeth into in a social situation. And then from there, um, if I decide I want to play, say, like a Hexblade warlock who's dating the spirit inside the blade, I think that's a cool idea. <laughs> really and I, cool. I'll just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, I'll kind of roll from that. I do have a character like that. She's like really into him. She wants to set him free, but like he's evil, evil. He keeps trying to get her to kill stuff. But she thinks he's like, he's so nice. You know, he's my boyfriend. Uh, We're going to get married. And that's kind of how I drive characters. The power gamery kind of stuff, I think that just comes from the thought experiment side of D&D. Like when you think about D&D enough, you start wondering, or when you read, because I spend ages just reading through online the player's handbook or whatever or reading through all the races i'm like oh that's really cool you can combine this with that but in terms of how i play i'm very very much like a your standard guy like i'll i'm happy to just take the basic spells and just kind of get through combat relatively quickly and painlessly make my go 
as fast as I can so I'm not keeping other people waiting around. The spells I really like are illusion-based. Usually I'm a big fan of prestidigitation. I love shape water. Mm. I had a character who was built all around that one cantrip and he had like catheters all over his body just storing water. So he could just pull out um, ice sculptures all the time. It was really cool. Like a water magician almost. Like just like. Yeah, just kind of pulling like a cane made of ice. Or he'd like ice up a chair to sit down in. You know that spell? That spell can freeze five feet of ice. Yeah, I've used it in that way actually. I was on a ship and I created ice cubes underneath. So it was hitting the hull and it was like freaking the crew out to kind of like scare them so we could go steal a chest. Yeah, so much fun. It's just one of those things where you don't think about it until someone points it out. I'd read the spell like 10,000 times, and then I was like, I'm going to conjure up an ice cube to sit on. And my DM was like, okay, a five-foot ice cube? And I was like, yeah, yeah, a five-foot cube. And he was like, do you know how big that is? And I was like, oh my god, that's huge! It never even occurred to me that I love that spell. Shape Water is maybe maybe even my favorite spell. Wow. Um, Those are the spells I love. Those like I love cantrips because you can do them at any time. And then the social kind of element. That's what I really like. But of course, yeah, I do spend a lot of time thinking about classes, thinking about weapons and stuff. So I do get those kind of power game rebuilds as well. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of joy in coming up with them, even if I don't play them myself. Yeah, Uh, This kind of transitions well into your content that you create and everything else. So uh, D&D Shorts. You've been making TikToks and YouTube for quite a while now. It's really, I feel like, taken uh, the internet by storm. So how did you get started making these videos? You know, where did the inspiration come from and kind of how did you get it off the ground? And how is it going so far? I had the idea for the channel about 11 months ago. The channel was created on May 17th, 2021. So it's nearly a year. So in a month and a half, it'll be a year. Yeah. I don't know. It was one of those things where I I knew I wanted to make videos. I was on YouTube already working for a bunch of different channels as like uh, doing voiceovers and doing video editing on the side as well. It was a wonderful job. I still do it, actually. Yeah. So you already had the skills then. Yeah, I guess you could say if it even is a skill, whatever I have, I don't know if it's exactly a talent. I'd made thousands of videos on YouTube already for big channels, big like millions and millions of subscriber channels. So I knew how stuff worked, and I knew roughly what it would take to make something that people might watch. What I was really looking for always for the last like three years was something that I was passionate enough about to make a video on. And for some reason, I never thought of D&D. I was like, man, I want to make a video on something. I want to do something on YouTube for myself. But I, there's nothing I like. Like it, it takes a lot of work. And then I just hopped onto Discord in prep for a game, and a friend of mine was telling another friend about the spell Healing Spirit. I don't know if you know it. It's a second level bonus action spell. And basically you conjure a spirit and whenever a creature moves into the spirit's space on their turn, they restore a little bit of hit points. Basically in the original version of that spell, there was no limit. So you could theoretically conjure a spirit and have your entire party run through it over and over and over again. And you'd get more healing than you'd get out of the spell heal or mass healing word or whatever for a second level spell slot bonus action. And it was just a really funny idea to have the entire party kind of conga lining through this (laughs) spirit over and over again. It was just really funny. They since changed it to say the spirit can only heal a number of times equal to your spell casting modifier. But just that story, I was like, that's so funny. Like, and then it kind of, it just kind of clicked. I was like, I should make a video talking about that. The irony being that I've never made that Healing Spirit video. It's just in my folder of ideas, but it's never been put up on the channel yet. But yeah, that's where it really started. And I, I was only ever interested in YouTube, but um, my sister was like, you should do something on TikTok as well. If you're making these shorts, put them on TikTok. And I was like, yeah, no, fine, fine. You know, it, it couldn't hurt, right? So uh, I had the idea. And then a week later, I'd made three shorts. I put the first one on YouTube and on TikTok, and then I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, I checked YouTube, and I had like, seven views because that's how youtube is that was pretty disheartening because i was like man i feel like this is really good but how am i ever going to break through that wall that is youtube for people without already an audience yep. and i didn't want to go to fans of my other content and say hey come and watch this D stuff i wanted to do it completely removed from my actual job you know that was disappointing and i what i actually did was i had this google drive where i'd put already like 20 ideas in for future videos i dragged it into the trash and i was like you know this isn't for me this isn't working and I kind of forgot about it. And then about three hours later, I remembered I'd put it on TikTok. And I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, whatever. I f- throw open the app and it had like 100,000 views. I had 10,000 followers already. 
And I couldn't do any more work for the next like two days. I was so excited. It was just mind blowing to me, like that it found such a, a wonderful, like warm reaction. And TikTok is absolutely the place for anyone who wants to build an audience quickly. It is a much more, it is a meritocracy rather than YouTube, where YouTube is a lot harder to get going because it's very unwilling to share new content. Whereas TikTok treats every video the same. So if you make something good, put it on TikTok, it should do well. So that's how I got started. Really, TikTok saved the entire channel. My entire career is thanks to bothering to put it on TikTok as well as a complete afterthought. So I kept going on TikTok and I uploaded them on YouTube. And then YouTube kind of kicked off about a month later. It took a month to filter through. So it was, it was thanks in part to my sister bothering to tell me to put it on TikTok and a friend of mine inspiring the idea by telling her, cool, he came up with the first weird thing you can do in D&D that I'd ever heard. And I was like, it's a good idea. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got this Google Doc going of all of your ideas. Do new ideas just come to you while you're reading through stuff, like you said, or do you get ideas from other people on the internet, or do you get ideas from your own games? You know, what, what does that kind of look like when you're thinking of new content to create? It's from everywhere. The YouTube channel these days is, I think, a healthy mix of stuff that's famous, like the peasant railgun. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if people think I invented that. That one really hit off. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I suppose because people sort of recognize the name and they want to understand what it is. Yep. And the coffee lock. I've done videos on these combos, even though they're not invented by me. I'm trying to share the knowledge because I think it's... I mean, the peasant railgun's hilarious. So funny. As an idea, even if it's complete nonsense. <laughs> but 50% I just completely make up on my own. Uh -huh. And now that the channel's pretty big, relatively speaking, you know, I think we're on 159,000 subscribers at the moment. Yep. People have started just giving them to me, which is nice. It's like when you get to a certain size and you get known for stuff, they're like, hey, you should do a video on this. Did you know this race can take this feat and it's crazy? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And sometimes I get a lot of like ideas that just don't work. Just people who are enthusiastic and they're just chatting or they're DM homebrews something. Mm. And that's awesome. But I try and keep stuff within, yeah, official content. Mm. No unearthed arcana, for example, stuff like that. Right. But, but yeah, I've got a Google Drive. I think it's about two years worth of content oh my gosh. to make yeah before i'll run out like assuming one short video a week yeah that's quite the backlog yeah i, I really do mean that i'm thinking about it basically all the time mm -hmm. like it's always kicking around when did you start deciding to kind of do the longer form content like specific builds or that kind of thing on your youtube maybe like the 10 minute ish videos i love those videos honestly that's much more what i enjoy i, I love editing yeah which is crazy. I reckon 99% of YouTubers hate editing. One of the first YouTubers I really got chatting to and TikTokers, wonderful person, you should check out his content, someone called Offbeat Outlaw. Yeah, yeah the one who was always wearing the headband and the scarf. <laughs> he does the forever DM build. He's a mix of comedy and he, um, we were just chatting and I said like, yeah, man, I love editing. And he said, dude, that is your superpower. If you like to edit, you will do so well because most YouTubers hate it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true. Basically, every YouTuber I've met who got to a certain size, they instantly outsourced the editing. I love editing so much. My videos, if anything, are horrifically over-edited. They're like crazy. But editing is how I relax. It's so much fun. I love the animating side of things. So my, my videos have tons of stuff going on, purely because that's the kind of content that I like to make. And the 10-minute videos give me a much more room to play around with that and discuss more in-depth concepts and make more jokes too. The problem with a short is that you've only got a minute and sometimes these combos are pretty involved. You know, you've got to get a lot of information. There's no room for any kind of jokes or the combo has to be the joke. Right. You know, it, oh, it's funny that you can do this. You can't do any one-liners or anything like that. There's no room. So the longer videos give you that chance to breathe a little bit more, ha have some more fun. Mm -hmm. There's a financial reality to it as well. Like a million views on a, on a YouTube video if you're in the right space, like a gaming space, you know, that can make uh, someone 10 grand for one video. There's people putting out videos like that every day. You know, it must be incredible. You know, if you, if you can get the audience to do that, whereas a million views on a short, you can earn less than a pound or less than a dollar, you know? Really? So if you want to earn a living on YouTube, you kind of, as a financial necessity, have to make longer content. But as it happens, I love making it anyway. And it's, it's what I sort of cut my teeth on in the industry anyway, is that longer form. Yeah. From all of the combos that you've done thus far, what have been some of your most favorite to make or ones that you've actually used that have been really fun? My favorite combos tend to be the ones I designed myself. One that I always remember was a Halloween one. So it was an evil D&D &D combo. 
It's called the Inhumane Torch. It's like a pun on the human torch from Marvel. And it uses the spell from Fizban's Charladan's Stride, which basically sets yourself on fire. You get enhanced movement and you don't trigger opportunity attacks. And then any object or person you move past takes, I think it's 1d6 damage. And if you upcast it, they take 2d6. And then if you, you know, 3d6, 4d6. And then if you combine that with the Elemental Adept feats, any ones you roll on those dice are treated as a two. So basically, if you take those together and you chuck on a potion of invisibility, you become this invisible, <laughs> burning monster that can sprint through a town. And if you upcast it to level four, so at level seven, you can do this. You can run through a town and you guarantee instantly murder any peasants you move any past. Because they have four hit points. Yeah. So yeah, any commoner is instantly dead and every building sets on fire because it ignites objects. <laughs> it was just so funny and strange. And I always think about that one. And a big part of them for me as well as an editor, because really my passion equally as D&D is content creation. I love making videos. So I really like how that edit came together. That's a big one for me is, is when it really comes together. I think it's called The Fast and the Furnace on YouTube. <laughs> But it's the Inhumane Torch is like the name of the combo. That would be a really good villain build. Like a low-level villain. They're invisible. They're running through towns and just burning it down. And no one knows why the town burns down or how. And you've got to like track them down. You can get a whole arc out of that. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> I like the sillier ones. Yeah. There's one where you can live inside a giant toad by negating the acid damage. Yeah. The toad submarine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really funny one. Oh, they're all on the channel if anyone wants to yeah. check them out. I like the strange stuff rather than the really OP stuff. And I like the ones that, that are all me. But uh, I still try and get the important ones out that people should know. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of combos that you should know. You should know the Peasant Railgun, you know. It's so iconic. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the deep lore of the hobby itself. Yeah, right? it's the community. It's the history of the community, man. Yeah. I, everyone deserves a chance to, to giggle about how dumb that combo is. <laughs> It is so dumb. So you talked a little bit about running Patreon games and stuff too. So how did you branch out from just these shorts to longer form content to what you're doing now? Did people recommend you try something like that? Or did you just say, hey, I'm going to do this? You kind of gauge the community for interest. You know, how did that come about? I'm lucky. Basically, everything I do is just stuff I want to do. And I wanted to play more D&D. &D, and I wanted to play with friends. And I wanted to make friends, um, especially when the channel was early. And this is kind of a, the double-edged sword that comes with growing an audience like this, is when the channel was really small, I really felt like I was friends with everyone who watched the videos. Yeah. If a video gets a thousand views in a week, you see the same people commenting, you comment back, you chat, right? When you get really big, you do sort of lose that to some extent. Luckily, we have a Discord, so I get to chat with people, and I still have friends from the community through Discord and Patreon now. But really, it was in those early days, it was about finding ways to play games with those people. So, And then you just start bumping off. Like, when your channel's doing well, you can just start bumping off all your dreams. Do you ever want to make a D&D magazine? Like, I love designing D&D content. Mm. I love designing races, and I love designing puzzles. And I think about stuff that I wish I had more access to. A big thing for me is the puzzles, because I, I don't want to get too far into it, but my, my entire career comes from, I started as a writer writing riddles for puzzle YouTube channels. People like Brightside who do these like, you know, can you solve this riddle in 60 seconds? You know, that was, that's kind of how I got my in. Hmm. So I love all that puzzle stuff. And I love those out of combat challenges. And every free-to-play adventure I was finding, they was kind of like, it's this combat, then it's this combat, then it's this combat. And I was like, oh, I wish there was more ways to like have a break from combat and really get everyone thinking and or tell a cool riddle and get people to work that out. So you kind of have ideas like that. And then eventually you're like, you know what? If no one's doing it, I'll make it. I launched a magazine and um, I get to hire like incredible artists now and just put together these amazing stories and get to hear back. Like it's something else. When you make an adventure or a one-shot, and then you hop online on Reddit or Discord and you see people talking about their experiences playing your game? That is crazy. I don't have kids, but it's what I imagine having a kid and then seeing them like, you know, go play football or whatever. It's like, oh my God, I made that, you know? They're talking about a great time they had from that. It, that is just the most unbelievable experience. Yeah, proud dad moments. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, it's just seeing it in situ like that, seeing... Even in a tiny way, contributing to someone else's fun or the time they had with their friends, having a great time, thanks to something you did, that's just so 
unbelievably rewarding. You know, it takes ages to make these things. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth every minute to do it for that, you know. So really, yeah, I'm very lucky. Like So far, every idea that I've kind of had and, and gone for, I make it as good as I possibly can. And people so far seem to have been into it. I'm sure one day I'll have an idea and I'll be like, this is going to be awesome. And it'll, you know, just tank horribly. But at the moment so far, yep, yeah, the magazine has been like a big hit. And um, just making stuff like that, making adventures for people and running adventures, it's just been a, a dream come true, really. That's awesome. This episode of How Not to DM is brought to you by Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. This week on Quickfire Chaos, I'm going to give Will some random examples of his weird things you can do in D&D combos, and he's going to think of ways DMs might counter these shenanigans. All right, uh, let's jump into the mini game here. I have written down a few of some of my favorite combos that you talked about, and I would like you to tell me how you might counter them as a DM if your players came at you with something like this, all right? You <laughs> yeah, can yeah, use whatever you want, whatever you can think of to like counter this. Monster combos in exchange. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. yeah, whatever yeah, let's you want. Do it. Monster combos or character combos, you know, villains, whatever you can yeah. think of, just as a, kind of a fun thought exercise. So, uh, okay, so uh, we'll start off with your most recent one as of this recording, which is the Toucan Cannon. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's a way for artificers to make a floating gun turret that guns people down. Yes. I should probably preface this by saying that as a DM, it's my philosophy, you never want to specifically say no to a player yeah. in terms of like just cutting them off. Because at DMs, we have ultimate power, right? You know, you can say rocks fall and everyone dies, right? right. So what I'd always try and do is find a way, if something seems too strong, to kind of counter that back. If it was something like the, the Toucan Cannon, which is... Um, basically a long-range blasting to get some extra damage. I think I'd probably try and do something where there's either a lot of enemies, because a lot of powerful combos, they focus on bursts of damage that usually only hit one enemy. Yeah. So you can swarm quite easily. Yeah. Or I might try something... I like the idea of maybe, like... You know what? I'd match it. I'd go full-on, like, reverse flash on this. I would have, like, an evil artificer craft some kind of MCU vulture battle suit. Ooh. We'll go aerial battle on this. You can have your like spy drone flying around with a Gatling gun, but he's bringing three mechanical rocks or something. I think that would be really cool. If you were finding that combo was too strong, the homunculus servant isn't that powerful. It does automatically dodge, but you could potentially bring in some AOE effects to kind of hit it for half on the deck save. You'll bring it down eventually. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably try and do some kind of like let's go you know like um you want to bring it to the air we're going to do this and and i'd try and get up try and get those kind of i think that'd be really cool having kind of like a battle of the pets kind of thing if they brought their own homunculus servant or something like that that'd be badass battle of the pets i like it uh okay next arachnofog uh this was another recent one uh basically you cast fog cloud on an enemy and then you wild shape into a giant spider who has is it tremor sense they've got the blind side and they will do also have web sense if they want to yeah, yeah yeah that's one where if i was the dm and someone did that i would be so happy that they hadn't just wild shaped into a bear the idea for that combo is just that every moon druid i've ever met it's always straight to the bear mm. heavy obscurement is extremely strong in DD. fog cloud darkness hunger of hadar all these spells have the potential to very quickly get broken if players have the blind fighting style or they're a warlock with devil, devil sight. Yep, yep. Yeah, so if players are exploiting that, I think you definitely let them have their fun with it. I always thought it would be awesome to put together a party where everyone can, like, you know, the fighter takes blind fighting, someone takes Eldritch Adept. 
so they can see in the dark, and then you've got a warlock, and you have a whole party that's like basically like night assassins. <laughs> but yeah, if you wanted to throw them against other creatures with blind sight, or throw them against stuff that doesn't need to see necessarily to deal damage, like the AoE effects or things like that. I think that's the way to handle those kind of the heavy obscurements. I was going to say, you could totally just blast a lightning bolt through the darkness or throw a fireball at the darkness and just call it good, yeah. Yeah, you can just go for, you know, the big things. Like, I do, like people think they're really clever, but you, you don't need to be able to see someone to fireball them. That's true. <laughs> you know, that's rule one at wizard school. That's like the first thing they taught me when I showed up. <laughs> yeah, I think the heavy obscurement is a real threat to the Like, it's something that if your players can do it, you need to be ready for mm. it. And usually... Thermosense, tremor sense, blind sights, devil sight. These are the ways to make sure that overwhelming advantage doesn't always go to your players. I like it. Uh, so yeah, that's how I'd handle that one. Next one, this was one of my favorites, uh, God Griffin. Okay, so yeah, just so people know what we're talking about. God Griffin is where a bard via magical secrets can take find greater steed and also tensors, tensors transformation. Yeah. So they get like they can get a, a creature, a pet, like a griffin or a unicorn that has like all this insane buffs that um Tenzer's transformation gives you and proficiency with weapons too which was yeah hilarious. proficiency like, with weapons yes yeah, so the yeah it can like carry swords yeah, the, the animation with like the griffin <laughs> with all these swords was just my yeah that was thing. a good that one yeah i spent ages on that photoshop well okay yeah that one's okay so for that one that's a level 14 combo mm -hmm. because you need to get to that level for the magical secrets so when you get to that level of the game you're kind of straying very close to just this is ridiculous anyway. Yeah. That combo is really fun. I don't think it's necessarily something you'd need to worry about. If you were bringing a maybe like an ancient white dragon would be a fair. Yeah. Or something around CR20. I'd be looking at if you were bringing like one boss fight, you'd, you'd want to hit up the CR quite a lot. When you're getting to these sixth and seventh level spells, you know, people can be rocking out simulacrums at that point. I probably wouldn't necessarily think that would need anything directly to counter it. If you have the time in advance to see what your players are going to do, if you know the players love to do this combo, you can look at what they're going to do and you can plan ahead for something. It might not be broken what they're doing, but you can be like, this is going to be an amazing moment. And if they were bringing a griffin that was dual-wielding swords, <laughs> I would definitely try and bring something equally crazy. I'd be like, okay, you've got this griffin with swords. Here's a purple worm with a... A bazooka strapped to his back like <laughs> yeah. let's go yeah jumping in like that i think that'd be really cool you could maybe do something with like a mounted enemy like maybe a death knight on a nightmare mm. who used the same strategy nightmare um, with wings or yeah. something anyway uh I love yeah it. something like that yeah the last one is beast railgun this is the one where you summon a load of beasts and they can all cast catapult via the artificer ability it makes the most broken third level spell more broken because conjure animals is insane this is really dangerous. I don't even know offhand how directly to counter it. Because the idea is on each of their turns, they touch the object the Artificer has imbued with catapult, right? And they catapult themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they can catapult rocks. And um, <laughs> catapult's a really good spell anyway. And it's very breakable too. Conjure Animals is the real problem here. Like that spell mm. is just crazy. Like putting that many beasts on the map for a start it's a logistical nightmare oh. it slows games down it's like crazy it is the the power gamer move is always conjure animals it was like my second or third session that my buddy ty did that and like slaughtered my boss monsters with four sharks in the water or eight wolves or whatever yeah. and i was like i don't have time to keep track of eight wolves like this is my third time dming you know anyway <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an unbelievable spell if you know it's coming there's always counter spell right every boss monster i do Every boss encounter, I give them Dispel Magic at ninth level for free, as many times as they like, because it is so crucial in shutting things down. Otherwise, the game, ju it, it just ends, especially at high level. We do a lot of like level 21 shots where people bring crazy stuff, and you just need those Dispel Magics. So I think that's kind of, sometimes when these spell combos go crazy, you really need to have those reaction counter spells, and you can subtle spell them as well if you, if you don't want your players counter spelling mm. them back. And then just trying to break the concentration as early as possible. But that, that combo really is crazy. That's a combo where you might be like, you do it once. And it's like, that was totally badass, man. But, you know, in the interest of having a game that keeps going, let's not do that again. And you do need to be able to be comfortable saying that. Because D&D is a game where you can do crazy stuff and that's the fun. It's fun to talk about. But if there's a point where it's too ridiculous and it's actually broken and it means that combat is just always over, you may as well skip the combat, right? So you can either say, 
this is totally badass. Like you worked it out. It's awesome. But let's leave it to bed now. And we'll, is, if that's okay, you know, if, if, and we'll find new creative ways to do other stuff. Mm. There's a few combos like that. There's a famous one where you cast conjure woodland beings for pixies and they turn the entire party into T-Rexes. Yep. Because they can cast polymorph. I mean, it's badass, right? It's such a cool idea. But if that's every combat... What's the point? Yeah. Yeah, it's what's yeah. the point. So I think uh, DMs do need to be able to say in a non, like, I'm shutting you down kind of way. And you can just be like, hey man, like, this is really cool, but for the sake of keeping things fresh, can we switch it up, you know? And I think any reasonable player who's, uh, you know, because players want to have fun and that's why they're doing this stuff. And you can be like, this is fun, but we've got to keep things going. Yeah. And I think that's what we come to. It is very healthy, I think, to um, have these kinds of conversations and make sure that everybody's on the same page because maybe they do want to keep doing that and that's fine and maybe they just need to go find another game where they where they can do that kind of stuff. Or maybe they do agree with you and they wanted to do it once and everyone had their fun and it's a good memory and then they move on. So I think both are uh, totally viable options. Yeah. yeah, and you can always run these. You can always do a one-shot where people go crazy. I mean, that's True. awesome to do. You know, like, if, if people want to get this out of their system, you want to fight the Tarasks? You want to fight three Tarasks? Three buffed Tarasks at level 20? Let's do it. But for the sake of, if you've got this overarching narrative that people want to keep sensible, then yeah, we, we can do different stuff in this game. That's the wonderful thing about D&D. You can completely swap up whenever you want um, or have a dream arc where everyone plays different characters. You know, there's always a way. Yeah, True getting down here to the end what's the best advice you've gotten or that you have for people who are out there running games and then also i'd love to hear your advice for people who have thought about creating content or who are creating content to kind of give them encouragement or, or ideas to keep going if i could give only one piece of advice for running games i'd have to make it a piece of advice that's useful for everything in life and that is to have the faith that you can do it the amount of Reddit posts I see and the amount of people who comment under my videos who I just get the waves of um, anxiety. I can feel it through the computer screen when they're talking about their games. They're so worried that people won't like it mm. or that they're going to get something wrong or there's going to be some catastrophic failure that they forget that you're the DM. You're doing this for fun, right? Like D&D is the hobby. You probably have like a job. I mean, you might love it, but D&D is what you do for fun and you are a player too. So make sure whatever you do in your free time that you are getting something out of it that's pleasant for you. And a big part of that's just remembering. If you just remember that you are here to enjoy yourself, I think a lot of that anxiety will just like wash away. And you'll be like, you know what? If it doesn't work this time, that's fine. We can do something different next time. D&D is not something that can be solved. The really difficult things in D&D are the social elements. And that's not something you can just get the answer to. Go in there with like, confidence and passion and have a great time and your games will be amazing like you got this 100 you got this you know your players will think you're amazing you'll get ripped you'll get millions of dollars like everything will come true that's just how it works i'm pretty sure wow i can't wait for that yeah that's, yeah I'm, I'm really excited for that i i will say like i've made content for a while and i have been quite fortunate there is always an element of luck if you're talking about youtube and I'm sure you know this too, as a successful podcast maker, it's, it's not easy. There's always going to be tough times. The one trick I think everyone should remember is whenever you make anything, make sure that you would watch it. I think that's what a lot of people forget, that they make a video and they're like, okay, so I've made this video, like, how am I going to get people to watch it? The first question you should always ask is, would I watch this? If I saw that thumbnail on YouTube, would I click on it? If I clicked on this video and it started this way, would I keep watching? If your honest answer to that question is yes, then you're nailing it. If it's no, then the content still needs more work. And I'm sure it's the same in podcasting. If, if you've got like a podcast set up and you listen back to it and it's not something that you would personally listen to in your free time, then it's not ready. And I think once you get to that point where you like it, because you're probably your own harshest critic as well. When you get yes. to the point where you think it's cool, then you're ready to go. And, and that's what you should always be aiming for is to make something that you would like. I think that's what a lot of people forget. They're trying to make something that they imagine other people might like that they wouldn't even watch themselves. And I think you trip yourself up pretty fast that way. Yeah, it, it's a, a dangerous um, a siren call and it is kind of a trap. So yeah, I like that. It's good advice. When I started this show, I wanted to make one that I wanted to listen to the same way you know, you kind of realized you wanted to make content you would watch. It's great advice. That's it. Thanks so much for joining us, Will. 
please tell the people where they can find your work and uh, tell us about any cool projects you've got upcoming. For a start, thanks so much for having me here. It's been a real honor and pleasure to meet you properly and hang out as yeah. a fan as well. Just it's kind of like I'm, I'm nerding out quietly over here as well. <laughs> cool too. stuff that I got. Yeah, if you if you want to find me on um, TikTok, it's D and D Shorts. Uh, YouTube, it's D N D Shorts. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about some adventures today. You can get them for free on the Patreon. You get a full magazine for free with loads of homebrew races and stuff. If you just hop over to patreon.com slash D&D shorts, you can download them in the about me section. You can see all of that. It's totally for free. I really just want to get it out there. And then if you want to join in games, you know, you can sign up. There's tiers for all different budgets if you want to. But there's obviously no pressure, of course. You just get the free stuff and run. That's totally awesome, too. There's a bunch of awesome stuff on the YouTube channel coming out. So definitely check out the YouTube channel and subscribe so you can keep an eye on it. I'm working on building a set. At the moment, I just stand in front of a green screen. I'm actually building a set so I can cut away, which is going to be huge for editing. So I can have two me's at different angles, It's going to, which will make the content hopefully so much more engaging as well. I'm really hype about that. On a personal level, you know, that's just like another layer to play around with in, in my little playground that is content creation so yeah are you building it in your flat or is it elsewhere it's in my house like uh, we've got like a third room and i've kind of just said like okay look no one's having kids for the next couple of years right <laughs> okay cool I'm, I'm taking the third room <laughs> i'm gonna build this set so yeah we're working on putting that together it, it should be really cool so and i'm gonna launch that with some some actual tutorials on learning D&D. I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast already play, but I'm going to try and hit some like real back to basics, like how to play. And we're going to do that in there. Should be really, really exciting. Yeah, that does sound exciting. I'm excited to see what you've got coming up next. Like you said, if, if everything you've done so far has gone off without a hitch and has really done well, then I'm sure this will too. So yeah, I'm really excited yeah. to see the next few videos you said. You've got some fun combos coming up and then uh, this set sounds really cool too. So yeah, thanks so much for joining me, Will. Uh, have a great rest of your day. You too, man. Thanks so much. See you, everyone. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Mike, a.k.a. Sly Flourish. And I think too many hard fights can turn into that antagonist situation, right? They can turn into a situation where the DM is really putting themselves behind the monsters. And a little litmus test for this, a little trick that you can do is how do you feel when the monster crits? Do you feel good or do you feel bad, right? Or, you know, are you torn? And if you're torn, you're in a good state, right? Constantly torn. Right? To hear more of Mike's DM tips and about some of his work in the game design world, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping me grow. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some nat 20s for me.